Christ's name, amen. Welcome. I'm assuming that bio comes off of the online website. Needs an update. We sold our hobby farm. Um, sold our hobby farm last year and moved to PEI. And so we are now, I'm, we're just actually visiting for the weekend. But we moved to PEI. We started thinking about three years ago sending families out there. And every time we had a family ready to go, something would happen medically. And finally we said, okay, then we'll go. And so that's working well. We have two other families out, out with us now in Eastern Canada. And the reason we're doing that is we've started realizing there's a lot of real heart for missions in the Maritimes. I'm from, I was born in Halifax, but we haven't had missionaries from the Maritimes in over 15 years. So that's a problem. It's part of Canada. There's four provinces out there. And so we finally said, well, then we'll go. And we were planning to base in Nova Scotia, but through multiple events, the Lord put us in PEI, which surprised us, but excited us. Sure, we'll go there. And we have found an incredible openness out there. So I'm still doing the same role. Still, as much as COVID allows, traveling. We'll actually be spending three months, November, January, November to January in Indonesia. So we're still doing that role. But, you know, in all that free time we always have, we're using that to engage young people. And so we're investing in a lot of young people. And I would say right now, in about, what's it been, 10 months, there's about 20 young people that are very interested in missions. But they're young people have never really heard of that as an option. As I spent time with the churches on PEI, it's been over 20 years since that entire province has sent a missionary across the ocean. They've sent missionaries to Ontario and Quebec, but nobody overseas that anybody knows of. I'm not saying they haven't, but I haven't found anybody that knows of anybody. And so that's what we are finding, great excitement, totally enjoying ourselves, investing in young people, and we're really praying that we would see fruit born of people sent in to all the world. It was actually very encouraging for me. Just We got here at the beginning of last week, a week ago, and um, I got to sit in on one session there. And No, we went to church where there was quite a few ethnos missionaries. It's um, Brockton Bible, or uh, Brockton Community Church. And looking around that room, there was about six families there that the Lord had used Kathy and I to influence to be serve as missionaries. And just sitting, I thought, okay, Lord, this is encouraging. If you could do this from PEI, I'd be thrilled. Even six families from PEI would be amazing. And so we're excited with that. We're thrilled to see God raising up labors. He tells us to pray for labors, and he's doing that. Three years ago, our training, we closed it because we didn't have enough missionaries to train. So we closed the training. Two years ago, we were packed out. This year, we're packed out, and we're starting to say, we have a problem coming for next year. And it's a great problem. Keep praying. Don't slow down the prayers. But let's see if God, how he overcomes our next problem of too many people wanting to serve overseas. And so we want to give our lives. I don't know how much more time we have. I think our days are numbered before the Lord's return. But in the meantime, let's be extremely engaged and reaching this world. It excites me. It thrills me. I also want to give you guys a quick update on Moy. Never forget, you planted a church in Indonesia. You folks have been behind us since the day we went to Indonesia, from the very beginning. You sent us to the jungles of Papua, not Papua New Guinea, the, other, the better half of the same island that Rajas were on. I'm up here, I get to say that. <clears throat> the Moy Church is thriving. And next year, they're hoping to finish the New Testament with a good chunk of the Old Testament. So... 
That's a church you planted. Keep praying for them. Keep them in your hearts. They have had a lot of challenges for sure, but the church is really, really doing well. And so every time I get updates, I'm so encouraged with what God is doing there. But I just want to let you know the Bible should be finished as much as we map out to do. The New Testament, about a quarter of the Old Testament, will be printed next year. And that, that's an amazing thing. Thank you for standing behind them. Last thing, we just got back Thursday night from McCallowit. As you guys know, we've been looking at what we were calling for a while, came out of this church, the name, but um, Shout to the North, we changed it to First Story, and we keep running into obstacles because this politically correct world, you've got to be just right. So we changed our name to Indigenous, Indigenous Ministries, and we were looking still a lot of First Nation options, but the Lord seems to have just kind of wiped that whole table clear, and he's reopening what we, I was ready, and I know I had been talking to our leadership about pulling the entire plug on reaching First Nations of Canada. Just, it just seemed like it was closed door after closed door, problem after problem, failure after failure. Finally, last year in January, or no, sorry, this year January, we were talking serious about pulling the plug, had a meeting set up with the U.S. team to talk. Before we pull the plug, let's just run it by our U.S. co-workers in the South. And in about a two-month process, it's like the Lord wiped that entire table clear and reset the table and now, and this is through so many things, the Lord has just been opening up doors. It's looking like we are going exclusively, and our focus will be the Nineveh or the Baffin Island to start. Eight communities on Baffin Island outside of the capital that are ranging from 2,000 to 300 people per community. And we're just sensing, the Lord is saying, that's where we're to put our focus, just Baffin Island for now. It could grow, Lord willing, will grow, but for now we're going to focus on Baffin Island. So we were just up there for four days. Amazing time. Going up, kind of skeptical, heard so many things. We left after four days just so encouraged, see so much opportunity. And a community of about 10,000 people, 8,000 people, I think the last number I saw, we found two Christian families. And we asked those Christian families, are there other Christian families? And there probably are, but they just didn't know of any. And the one of those Christian families is the pastor of a small Baptist church with 10 people or so. He has 10 kids, but that doesn't count the 10 people. He's got 10 people plus his 10 kids. And so um, church of about 10 to 20 people, he says, I don't really know of too many Christians up here that are thriving and walking with the Lord. There are some. We just haven't met them, and, but the ones that we've met don't know of them. Inuit, a lot of Inuit in Iqaluit but very, very dark. It is the highest suicide rate of the entire world, 10 times the Canadian national average. Hopeless, we went to the cemetery. You wouldn't believe the long, huge cemetery of just white crosses. Huge number of those are teenagers. We just got teenager, teenager, teenager. Suicide, suicide, suicide. Dark, dark place in great need of the Lord. So this is not, we've already kind of closed it once. We don't want to do that again. Pray with us. We need God's people praying to see the gospel, the light brought to the Inuit of our own country. So that's just by way of opening. I want to share with you a quick story that Steve, my brother-in-law, shared with me not too terribly long ago. And to me, it's a really good opening to the passage that was read there this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Steve was, he wrote me a text one time, he says, Tim, or WhatsApp, you wouldn't believe what just happened. And, and I always love these little, you wouldn't believe what just happened from Steve's, because that's kind of like, yeah, that's our people, the Moine. And Steve had been sitting with Zepaye, one of the guys that I knew from a little, little boy. He grew up, he's an elder in the church now, probably age about 26, 25, who knows, 22. But he's an elder and doing very well. None of our older men are elders because they all have two or three wives. Only the younger men have one wife, so only the younger men qualify as elders in the church. 
Zippai is a faithful believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Deep love for the Lord. Steve was sitting with him, translating the Bible, and they're working. And translation can be very grueling. You can go for hours and just working over the small details. And they're working away, and all of a sudden, thump, 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 a big helicopter. A big helicopter came in and landed right close to Steve's house. It was a government helicopter, bigger than normal, and this helicopter was not scheduled, but it shows up, and out steps a government worker with a few big boxes. And you know what was in those boxes? Literally, bricks of cash, ties of bricks of cash, and they're there to hand them out to the people because they, they're always afraid of uprisings. They're trying to keep the people happy. This helicopter showed up literally with boxes of cash just to hand out. And so he gets out, and he's handing out tall bricks of cash. A brick of cash there is not worth what it is here. A brick of cash there might buy, might buy a motorbike. It might, probably not. But it's still enough to be something to strive for. He's handing out cash, and people are running by Steve's house saying, the money is here, money is here, and they're all running by, and you could hear the shouting and the excitement, and Steve, is, he's doing the translation with Sapaye, and Sapaye is not even flinching. And Steve's starting to think, well, <laughs> is he missing what's going on around us? There's cash. And he just kept working, and Sapaye just stayed so focused, and finally Steve said he just stopped. He said, Sapaye, do you hear what's going on? There's cash up there. And Sapaye's answer was so classic. Sapaye looked at Steve and said this. He said, God has done so much for me. He sent his son. He sent the gospel. He sent you guys. He spared my life long enough to hear this gospel. He went on with all the things, many things God had done. And then he said this. He said, I fear if I go get my cash, I will get distracted from him. I thought, what a powerful statement. I fear... If I go get my cash, I will be distracted from him. How many of us would think that way? If they were after church, if you go that way, you go to your car. If you go that way, there's a brick of cash, and they can go home. Like, who would, most of us would kind of, well, why not? You know, let's grab that brick. Sapaya was so focused, I fear if I get that cash, I'll be distracted. That has lingered in my heart for a long time. <clears throat> I don't know if you guys remember this. Okay, honestly, none of you do. I do, because I have notes. I was here last year and shared. And um, at the beginning, as I shared, I'm just looking at my notes. I started off with this comment that there's been so many of us distracted by COVID. That was a year ago. Looking back, I would say to myself, self, you had no idea. <laughs> it's only grown. We like to talk about, I'd like to share what God's put in my heart about gazing on that which really is important. What really matters. Let's just turn to our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for your grace. We thank you, Lord, from this passage we just read. It talks about more and more people hearing and more and more grace from you. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of your word and to hear and to freely sit here. Yes, Lord, it's uncomfortable in different reasons, but we thank you for the freedoms you have given us. And Lord, I just pray this morning you would just somehow take all those things that are distracting and pulling and the, the concerns and yes, the heavinesses and even in the worship times we hear about the, the tough seasons, Lord, would you just take our focus and put it where it needs to be? And Lord, would you impact us with how and why it is so important that our focus remain on that which really matters, and really, Lord, that our focus would be on that which we cannot see, which, humanly speaking, is completely impossible. Would you impact us today, Lord, by your word, in your precious name we pray. Amen.
Now I notice there's no clock. My watch broke in a Callaway. Nobody told me what time we're done. So I'm assuming around one or two is when you'd like to be out. <clears throat> Nervous laughter. <laughs> okay, I have no idea. Are we 11.30 or 12 o'clock or what is your target here? Not that I can see time, but okay. All right. Someone made a passing comment to me about a month ago from, you could turn there, John chapter 12. Or just a passing comment. They said, you know, there's this really cool obscure story in John chapter 12. Let's start with that obscure story. John 12, <clears throat> verse 20. Interesting, short little clip, and then Jesus teaches. And we all probably are familiar with this clip, but we don't think much about it. John chapter 12, verse 20 starts with some Greeks. No names are given. We don't know where in Greece they're from. We don't know their story. They're just kind of some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. So probably these would be proselytes, probably Gentiles, but they were converted to Judaism. They're in Jerusalem for the Passover. Probably just knowing the history and most of the culture, we can assume this, being Greeks, they walked through Jerusalem. People avoided them. They were Greeks. They were not Jews. They were not overly accepted or appreciated or loved. And yet they had seen something about this God that they wanted to know. And so they were in Jerusalem for the Passover, probably proselytes. Converse to Judaism. So they come to Jerusalem, and then in this comment says they paid a visit to Philip. Why? Why of all people do these Gentiles, these Greeks, from far away, mostly unappreciated, they come here, why is it they made an effort to find Philip? Well, the reason for that is, is something we're going to find out in heaven, we'll never know now. But there's something about Philip that he's different than most Jews. We see Philip quite a few times popping up through the Gospels. In fact, you see his name popping up in Acts. When they, Jesus wanted to five, feed the 5,000, who does he turn to? Ironically, Philip. Philip seemed to have a heart for people. So for some reason, these Gentiles come find Philip. He was also the man, member that reached out to the Ethiopian eunuch. I, I can't wait to hear his story. Why? What may, maybe, I don't know. But they pay a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and they said, this is the phrase that somebody made the obscure comment to me about. They said, so the Greeks say to Philip, sir, we want to see Jesus. The King James says, we would see Jesus. They must have been hearing about him. Have you heard about him? There's something about this new name that they said, wow, we want to see him. And when someone made that comment, I thought, that is really important. Since that, about a month ago, it's been going through, thank you, it's been going through my mind, we would see Jesus. Is that your heart's cry? I'm going to say, if there's anything you could request, remember the story of Solomon, how God came to Solomon and said, Solomon, what do you want? You can have anything you want. I can't imagine some, anything that would make the Lord happier if he came to you in a vision, in a dream, or some way tonight, and says, you can have anything you want. What do you want? If we were to say, wow, I just want to see Jesus, that would put a smile from ear to ear on the face of God. If that is your focus in life, you know what? You will walk with our Lord Jesus Christ, and you will walk closely with him. We would see Jesus. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but Philip comes to Andrew and says, Philip, or Andrew, we have a problem. These Gentiles want to see Jesus. We know that's not really what he's here for. What are we going to do? And Andrew, who's a problem solver, also often the, helped Philip in a few different situations, let's go ask Jesus. 
So they go and ask Jesus, what do we do? And Jesus' response is interesting. He gets into about dying and all this. He makes a comment that's very important in verse 26. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me. That makes sense. If you want to be my follower, you must follow. But then he says, because my servants must be where I am. Brothers and sisters, if you want to see Jesus, you need to be where he is. What is he doing? What is he doing around us? We get so taken up with what is our program, what is our agenda, what am I doing? And we forget to stop and say, what is he doing? Where is he at? Where is he moving? I want to be there. And you're not going to know that unless you stop and say, Lord, okay, I see all this stuff. We're going to come to this next passage. But can you take my eyes off what I can see and put it on that which I cannot see? That's going to make the difference for you in your Christian life. Because my servants must be where I am. And if you just drop down to verse 32, Jesus makes a very, very important statement. He never did answer Andrew and Philip about the Greeks. We don't know if he actually saw the Greeks. We don't know if the Greeks got to see them. We don't know. We'll find out someday. But that's not important to us because it's not in here. But what we do see, verse 32, he says at the end of his answer to Philip and Andrew, that somehow was meant to be an answer, but we miss that what we would like for is the conclusion. But he does say this. He says, when I am lifted up from the earth, the next verse tells us he's referring to the cross. When he's lifted up on the cross, just like when, when the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness of the Old Testament under Moses, when I am lifted up, he says this, I will draw everyone to myself. Honestly, there's theologies and teachings out there that are saying, when I am lifted up, I will draw some people to myself. No, he says here, Jesus himself, his agenda will be to draw everyone. If you ever hear people telling you he will only draw some people, it's not true. He himself says, my heart is to draw everyone. That's his agenda in this world today. And then if you flip over with me now to our reading this morning of 2 Corinthians, I'm going to start in verse 14 because... It is so important that we have a clear understanding of Jesus. When he speaks, he means what he says. I will draw everyone to myself. Verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. We would see Jesus. Why? Why would that be so important to stop and say, I want to see you. Why would you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I want to see you today. Why would that drive you? I'm going to tell you right now very simply why. You have all of eternity. You have a short little time on this earth. After this short little blurp on earth, you have forever and ever with him. Make that your focus. Make him your focus. Make eternity your focus. Make storing up treasures there your focus. Everything else is a distraction. COVID, vaccines, masks, all these things. I like none of them. I wouldn't choose any of them. But they're here. And they're not going away today. Hopefully tomorrow. I remember when this COVID first hit. That was like... I was in Trinidad, actually, meeting with a bunch of churches who want to send missionaries when COVID hit Canada. The day I was in the airport, they had their first case in Trinidad. I landed in the airport. I got a text saying, they've just instituted isolation. You must sit in your house for two weeks. I'm like, what? Who isolates for two weeks? I got in trouble because I didn't. I thought I was, but I wasn't, apparently. COVID is here. But I remember telling my daughter in about April, this will soon be gone. If... 
there's any form of shutdowns, even as of June last year, they'll be riding all across Canada. We're still doing it. We still got it around us. Okay, let's not be distracted by it. He says, I'm going to keep reading here because he says, verse 14, we know that God who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us. This is why it's important you have eternity with him. Verse 15, all of this is for your benefit. What's for me? This is what's for me. As God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is today. What is your thanksgiving about? I find I am quickly thankful for my kids and my family and a car that runs and, and friends. And I, I, I love my ministry. But what is our primary thanksgiving? What are you most thankful for today? I would say we should be most thankful as God's grace is reaching more and more people. You of a church have a reputation and history of having a massive heart for missions. There's been times I know you've been tempted. There's been things to push away from. Man, maintain. Say, Lord, your passion is the world. Keep that our passion. His passion is that as more and more people are reached with grace of God, there will be great thanksgiving. Then it's what God says. As God sees more and more people reach, he says, and God will receive what? More and more glory. We're not reaching this world for our benefit. Most missionaries aren't doing it for selfish reasons unless they don't want to work hard and they choose missions as an easy route, which I tell them quickly, you're going to be disappointed. If you're thinking of missions to get rich, again, probably not the best route to get there. If you want a good reputation, that might help you while you're here, but when you go to where you're supposed to serve, your reputation is not going to be that great. Apart from missions, ministry as a pastor, career, but still full-time for God, wherever God puts you, whatever he calls you to, his priority in your life is to use you to reach more and more people that his glory would grow more and more. That is why we never give up. Brothers and sisters, it's tough right now. In the middle of COVID, it's tough. Leading a church is tough. Getting Christians to walk in unity at a time when everything is dissension, when it's so easy to disagree. I can feel right and strong about this. It's a piece of cloth this big, and I'll fight over it. How I do it, you know, don't let that be our, our dividing point. And if somebody doesn't agree with you, would you give grace? Because Satan is having a heyday right now in the church. I have a lot of friends across Canada who are pastors. I know a lot of friends in the pastor are quitting right now or on the verge of quitting. They're about to pull the plug. It is tough. Would you give grace to each other? Give grace to the leadership. Give grace to the people in the church. This is distracting us. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Paul knew when he says our bodies are dying, he knows what that means. By this point in his life, he had already been stoned to death once. He had already been whipped at least three times till his back was nothing but a bloody pulp. He had been in shipwrecks. He had experienced the sword. He had been under persecution. He knew what it meant to suffer. And he says, yes, my body is dying but it's actually becoming more and more alive. Can you say that right now? What is your focus? Because if your focus is anything but Jesus, you are not going to experience growing in life. You're going to experience growing in death. We would see Jesus. Listen to what Paul says next. Verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 4. For our present troubles 
are small. This is a man who knew great trials. You, I can guarantee none of us in here have ever experienced the pain and the agony and the rejection. And the, I mean, on and on and on that Paul had experienced. Honestly, we've all experienced different levels of pain. Probably most of you and many of you way more than I have. Paul knew pain and Paul knew troubles. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long because the longest your trouble will ever last you guaranteed is 120 years or less and probably 100 years or less with a few exceptions your troubles are not going to last very long 100 years is short by the way compared to eternity because listen what paul says next yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever verse 18 is our theme so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Can you live that way and say, Lord, I want my eyes off my troubles and something that is entirely different, and this is what's different. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. How in the world do you fix your gaze? Gaze means to stare intently at something. How do you stare intently at something you can't see? What Paul has just said is the most impossible challenge that he could give any human being, or one of them, to stare at something for your entire life at something you cannot see. And yet that's what we're called to do. That's what separates the believer from the unbeliever. And if you ever want to give yourself a test, are you a carnal believer or a spiritual believer? It's as simple as this. Where is your gaze? If you find you're gazing at the things you can see, if that is your focus, you're probably, this is not for you to judge anybody else, but your own heart, you're probably walking in a carnal walk. If you find you're staring at the things you cannot see, then you're probably a spiritual man or woman of God. Paul says we don't look at the things we can see. We look at the things we can't see. And not just look at He says we stare at them. We gaze on the things that cannot be seen. Why? For the things we see now will soon be gone. Don't get taken up with these little blurps that won't last. hundred years or less. Be taken up with that which will last forever and ever and ever. And that is a very big call and you can't do it by yourself. You need our Lord Jesus Christ to do this. I'm going to look at that and just in closing. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Can I challenge you? Lord, each one of you, Lord, pray this. Lord, wake up in the morning. Lord, I want to see you, and I want to see the things I cannot see. The world around you will not, will not understand that statement. That's what separates you. A couple thoughts just out of the book of Hebrews. We're just going to read through them here. Hebrews 2, verses 8 and 9. Listen, listen, listen to some of these thoughts. Just, you can look it up if you want to write it down or listen. Hebrews 2, 8 and 9. What we do see is Jesus. That's the writer of Hebrews. What we do see, only a person walking with God can stop and say, what I do see is Jesus, nothing else. Hebrews 3, 1 says, think carefully about this Jesus. Hebrews 11, we all know Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. Verse 1 starts with this, as we have this beautiful chapter that outlines what faith is, and example after example, but it starts with this thought. Verse 1 of Hebrews 11. Faith is the confidence. Confidence. As a believer, you can have confidence. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. 
That's what separates you from the world around you. He goes on and he says, it gives us assurance about the things we cannot see. As I've been the last month looking at this concept of looking at that which I cannot see, I have been blown away. You'll see it all through the Bible, especially the epistles in the New Testament. There's so much about looking at what you cannot see. I've never seen it before. It's our focus as a child of God. If that brick of cash is going to distract you from the things you cannot see, don't take the brick of cash. Verse 10 of Hebrews 11, Abraham was looking for a city that could not be seen. Doesn't that blow your mind? He lived his life looking for something that couldn't be seen. And yet he looked and he looked and God loved that about Abraham. He looked for what could not be seen. Only a spiritual mind can see what God has there. Hebrews 12, 2, we know this verse, keeping our eyes on Jesus. When I was about seven years old, I remember... I, I grew up in the mission field, grew up in Indonesia. I was seven years old, and I, all my friends were Indonesian, and I was in a, we were in a coastal town, and I didn't have any white friends my age, all Indonesian, and none. they're all Muslim, didn't know the Lord. Obviously, my parents were missionaries. I knew the Lord, and I, by then I would have, yeah, I knew the Lord. But I was playing with Indonesian friends one day, and we were running through the bush, and all of a sudden we broke out, and we came into this huge cemetery, and I, I don't know if, I, I don't think any of us knew it was there. We just, there's a cemetery in the middle of the woods. And all the kids with me yelled and yelled loudly, Hantu, 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 which you guys know what that means, right? <laughs> ghost, spirits, evil spirits, bad things. Hantu just means ghost or spirit. And they all, all yelled Hantu. And <laughs> we took off running. The Hantus are here. We are in trouble. We got caught in a cemetery. And one of the kids ran up beside me and says, Hold your thumb, hold your thumb. I'm seven. I'm like, why? What? We're running full speed. Why am I holding my thumb? That's where the spirits eat you from. They always start in the thumb and they get into your body. Hold your thumb so the spirits can't get in you. I'm like, okay. I can still remember running full speed, looking. No spirits getting in that thumb. Boy, that thing is closed right up. Just, I was giving her, but I remember looking down at my thumbs. They were held so tightly. And that's, it was so real to me at the moment. If that hantu could be that real to me, how much more our God can be real to us? Would you put your focus on him? Oh, yeah, it's by faith. No, make him, ask him, Lord, I want to see you. You're the theme of your life, the focus of everything you do. It'll change the season we're in for you. I just want to read one more passage. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. I'm going to read it. See how very much our Father loves us. Folks, it's not hard to stare at somebody who loves us so much as that he would give his life for us. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. That separates you from the world too. Stop and think of the privilege of being a child of God. And he calls us to this. When I said early draws, all, all of us have that option. All of us have been called. All of us have been drawn. And he says, I want you as my child. And he's writing to believers where he calls us his children. And that is what we are. That's a statement of faith. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. My daughter works at Royal Bank of Canada. She's tried explaining to the lady she works with why she thinks she does and why she responds to certain challenges in our society today and they don't get it unless it was telling me the phone dad i just i don't know how to explain it to them you can't they'll never understand it because your life is something that can't be seen 
It's not going to make sense. But stand true to what God has called you to be. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what, he, what we will be like when Christ appears. Listen to this. But we do know that we will be like him. And here's the climax for the Christian. For we will see him as he really is. John knew how hard it is to see that which we... He wrote it in the book of John earlier. We would see Jesus. He knows how impossible and yet how we're called to see that which we cannot see. To gaze and stare and live a life on something you cannot see. But the day is coming, he says, when we will see him as he really is. Live for that moment. He goes on and talks about that eager expectation of his return. The last chapter of Revelations, twice the Lord says, look, look, open your eyes. And John says, I heard and I saw. But Jesus in Revelations 22 says, look, I am coming soon. Would you live for that? He is coming. Focus on that. Focus on eternity. Focus on what he's called you to do. And I don't know how in half an hour to expand more of the challenge to walk and look for something that cannot be seen. I'd love to share a story from Moy, but maybe another time. Okay, I'll make this quick. <clears throat> Just my sister, again, I love these stories from Moy. I still get them. If you want to get them, I'll pass them on to you. But Carolyn said she was um, walking up. They had just finished the book Revelations. It's probably six months ago or so. They finished teaching through Revelations. And the Moy were so excited, they threw a big feast. Now, Moy feasts are not one you'd want to be invited to, I'll guarantee you. If you can avoid a Moy feast, avoid it at all costs. When it's a feast, they get all excited and they go hunting for 14 days, two weeks, half a month, half a moon. And they hunt like crazy for tree kangaroos. And those cheap kangaroos, when they catch one on the first day, obviously you're not going to eat it for 14 days. You can only imagine the tropical heat, what that will look like. They do a slight smoking just to kind of seal a bit, but it gets full of maggots. The colors, it changes. I don't want to ruin your Thanksgiving. But the smell is unbelievable nasty. They take the guts and shove it in bamboo tubes, and they lay it on the sun for the two weeks. From the, just keep doing it. So by the end, you won't believe the rot and the stench. And they love it. I've been at those feasts, and you're just begging them for the freshest meat that was caught, shot yesterday, which is fairly fresh, even by tropical standards. It's freshish. But then they smear those guts that have been rotting in the sun for two weeks on that fresh meat, and it just changes everything. Anyways, my sister was walking up, so I'm trying to give you a bit of a picture of how unattractive it is to a Westerner. And they're walking up the trail, and I had been there with Kathy, and I walked, oh, not again, no, I just, why, how, why, why, Lord, why? <laughs> You're walking up, you can smell it from so far. And you get up, and Carol was saying she came up, I know where she was at, she came up over the little hill, and there was this whole meat laid out. And you wouldn't believe that, the, the, as the sands of the sea, the maggots are crawling around, just unbelievable. That's your lunch. And you're looking, and it's just alive and crawling, colors that you didn't really ever want to eat. And she said, she came up, and she said, I was just saying, Lord, why, why am I having to do this again? And all of a sudden, one of the Moy ladies, who's so deeply in love with Jesus, this lady, is, um, um, her story's unbelievable. She loves the Lord. So I just, Carol was just telling us this last week how much this lady's in love with the Word of God. This lady comes up beside Carol, and they had just heard Revelations chapter 22. And she starts smacking her lips. Carolyn's looking at her, how are you doing that? And the lady looks at Carolyn and says, oh, doesn't this just make you think of the marriage feast of the lamb someday? 
Carolyn said she had to be honest and say no. <laughs> if God can give a lady the ability by perspective to see that as precious and something to look forward to, he can take the impossible for us and change our perspective and give us a heart for his return and a heart to see him. Yes, I know this is a tough season. I know that. But would you say, Lord, would you put my eyes on you and could I see you in everything? And please, brothers and sisters, we love you as a church. Don't be divisive. Don't let it be divisive. Stand against the wiles of the devil. Do not let different opinions tear us apart. And it's happening all around us. Be a light. It doesn't need to. And it will only happen if you can get your focus and focus and gaze on Jesus Christ. We have been told in the same chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, that we are fragile clay pots. We're fragile. We smash easy. We're cracked. But that is good. Let Jesus fill you and leak out on the people around you and need filling every single morning. Wake up. Lord, I leaked out yesterday. I need you to fill me again. I want to see Jesus. That's my request. Stop every morning. Lord, I want to see you. And it'll change your life. Let's close in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, you're an amazing Savior, and just thank you so much for all that you've done for us, and all that you do, and all that you promise, and all that you will do. And Lord, we can't comprehend it, but thank you for all that we anticipate of eternity with you. Can't get it, don't understand it. It's hard to even believe, but by faith. But Lord, would you help us see you? Would you help us, help us to see what it means to live for eternity and not for today? May every tribal we see, every challenge we face, be known as small in your sight. And Lord, take our gaze and focus it firmly and fix it on you. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you want to do that. Thank you that you are not the one hidden in the garden that we search, but we were the ones hiding, and you were the ones searching us out and want to be known. Thank you, Lord, in your precious name we pray. Amen.